So we watched Six Days to Air, which is a documentary about how an episode of South Park is created. And the reason this documentary exists and the reason it is interesting is that for the last number of years, um, the team behind South Park, they will come up with an idea for an episode, write the episode, animate it and voice act it within six days, and then it is played to the world on Comedy Central. So that is why this documentary team decided to come and take a look at what that process is like because I th- this has never been done before. This is the only animation to be done in this way at this scale for this long. Um, so they are wholly unique and it presents with it a bunch of very interesting challenges uh, that the team goes through, which is what we want to look at as a way to kind of do a mini, I guess it's a kind of like a case study on how people work under pressure. I can hardly think of other jobs that would be this kind of pressure. Mm-hmm. In a, run, running through the roster, I'm thinking uh, air traffic controllers. <laughs> uh, you know, that's a lot of, that's a lot of pressure, uh, but, but producing, creating from nothing and going to a completed show uh, in the space of a week is insanity. And for comparison, they mentioned like the, the Simpsons, which is the most comparable animated show to South Park, <laughs> in in no small part because they have both been on the air forever, uh, and were sort of started around the same ish era. The Simpsons takes months to produce each episode, so it's it's not just like oh they're doing it in six days, and other other shows take two weeks. I know it, it's a it's an it's an incredible difference between the the production cycle and other shows the creators of south park uh, matt and trey you know they are interesting guys they've done a lot of different projects over the years and when i was watching south park when i was younger like the show has been on now for 20 plus years and i've seen a lot of the first 10 years i haven't seen a lot of it in the most recent 10 years but when i watched it back in the sort of pre internet days i remember noting how quickly things that happened in the world were able to work their way into the show and i always wondered like how how is it that a show like south park is able to respond to things in the world on such a such a short time frame whereas everything else that's created for television it clearly is created like in a in a, a void of timelessness that it could it could occur at any point. I always just found that notable and weird, and it made South Park feel like a a special, different show that it could react to something that happened last week. And I always wondered, and now I have the answer. The way they were able to do that is with an insane working schedule that nobody else in the world would copy. So the documentary begins and when it's set is March 2011. And for context, the show had been on a bit of a break, a longer break than it ever taken before, because Parker and Stone had just debuted their musical, The Book of Mormon. And it was up for a bunch of Tony Awards and they just kind of got the first run or the first few shows out of the way before returning back to South Park. So there had been a significant period of time where the show had not been on the air because without Parker and Stone, there is no South Park. Like They couldn't make it without them, as you kind of come to learn over the course of the documentary. So they took a break. They took a long break. And then they come back and episode one of this season also, just completely uh, lucky on the documentary maker's parts, 
ends up becoming one of the most infamous episodes that has ever been created. Uh, it was an episode called Human Centipad. <laughs> we don't need to go into it, right? Like, it, it is what it is. It's one of the most infamous episodes that they ever made. But it's just interesting to watch how that all came together over the course of this week. It's an infamous episode because it is iPads crossed with the human centipede. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's very uh, South Park. It is, the, it is the most South Park it could be. But because they're taking this break, one of the things that I was astounded by was how long it took them to come up with the concept of the episode. It's like one or two days of the six days, they're still working out what the episode's about. And that seems wild to me, right? Like, I assume that as the seasons go by, they have some ideas in the bank. But they started on just like a completely blank slate trying to work out how to complete the episode. Right, so it's like that nothing can happen. So everybody's kind of there's so much hanging around. Like the rest of the mm-hmm. team are just waiting. Like there's times later on in the episode where individuals are sleeping in the offices because the script might come at three thirty in the morning and then they can get mm-hmm. to work. Like there seems to be this just really wild work schedule that everybody goes through. The way the show usually runs is that there's they're they build up some kind of events that are occurring throughout the several episodes. And so like there's, they end up with ongoing stories that take place over the course of the season. But because, because like you said, they're coming back into work. It's the start of a brand new season. It's also because they've been on such a big break that I found the same thing was astounding where it's, I think there's sort of like six people in the writer's room. You know, Matt Matt and Trey are the two main guys. Obviously, they have the producer there. They have a couple other writers. They're people who are there. But the beginning of the documentary is just all of these shots of them just sitting there. And pacing. Sitting in a room. A lot of yeah, pacing. pacing yeah, looking, up, looking up at the ceiling. And uh, they're just they're just tossing out things that are zeitgeisty. Right? So they're like, uh... There's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of uh, news about that tsunami that occurred. Are tsunamis funny? Right, and they're looking around trying to think if tsunamis are funny. And it, I, I agree with you. When you see the the premise of the documentary is okay, it takes six days to make an episode of South Park, and, and you realize that close to a third of that time, at least on the first episode, is just sitting around trying to think up what the show is going to be. It makes it even more astounding. It, yeah. I mean, it's, it really. It's like the production is a lot closer to four days to air. And, and, and we, we have the actual idea on the morning of the fourth day that that's when, it, that's when it starts to come together. Yeah, there's a quote from one of the producers, and this is like at the beginning of the six days. Uh, there's a show on Wednesday. We don't even know what it is. <laughs> like, there is a, just an incredible pressure that goes to it. And, I mean, there is a part of me that can sympathize in a very, very small way. So, mm-hmm. you know, I produce a number of shows that are focused around news. And sometimes you get to like two days before the episode and there's nothing. Mm-hmm. But the episode is being recorded in two days. So like, what do you do? And mm-hmm. then there is like this, do you come up with some uh, kind of evergreen topic, like something that isn't news-based? Do you sit with your fingers crossed, hoping that there will be news? Like, it right. is nowhere near the scale that this is at because it's like creating something wholly larger with many, many dependencies. But I can totally understand the feeling of like, it, 
it being completely out of our hands. Like, we don't know what it's going to be, and eventually there's going to have to be an episode. But as of right now, no one knows what it's going to look like. Yeah, and I've... (laughs) There are two moments um, with Trey Parker in particular where I felt like, oh, dude, you have all of my sympathy in the world. But but one of the scenes is... uh, He's trying to work on the scripts uh, and he gets the McDonald's I was, delivered. I was wondering how. I, I, I specifically wrote down to ask you <laughs> what you thought of Trey Parker's script writing process. There, there's a couple of things in here, but so he's getting he's getting what looks like just the, the world's worst McDonald's meal delivered to him. <laughs> so did he say it makes me happy for five minutes or something? Yeah, all right, yeah. So that's what it is. Yeah, the, the documentary guy asks him about like this clear two bags of garbage he's about to pour into himself. And yeah, and that's that's his reply. He's like, oh, it makes me happy for five minutes. And just talking about how at this at this point, it's a little bit after they have come up with the actual idea, but he still needs to sit down and turn it into a real script. And I have a lot of sympathy for that behavior of like, oh, he's doing something that he knows is self-destructive, but it's bringing him a little bit of joy in the middle of what is a miserable process because he clearly hates the script writing thing and it's this unlike the writer's room where they're trying to come up with the ideas and there's people and he's bouncing stuff off and you can see that he's much more lively there the script writing process is like well it's just trey parker sitting in a room with a computer with no one yeah that it was wild to me that he writes it just him like they have Mm -hmm. writers but they're not writers in this, in the sense of, in a, you know, I don't know what the term is, but like when I think of writers, like oh, they're writing the whole episode. It doesn't work like that. They're coming up with the ideas and helping him flesh out some of the plot points. But all mm-hmm. of the dialogue is actually just written by Trey Parker. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. I mean, let alone the fact that they still to this day voice the vast majority of the cast as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much that they do. It's it's unbelievable. But the 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 reason why I had this double sympathy for him was because it's like, okay, I, I, I get that like you're eating crap because you've just got a bunch of work to do. And like that's a behavior that I have tried to breed out of myself over time and I've gotten way better about it. But it's like when I was faster at producing videos, it's like my health really suffered and it was like, Oh yeah, this looks familiar. I know this. Like oh, I'll yeah, just be yeah. happy for a minute. Um but the other thing that to me is Again, in the smallest way, but is also now much more my world than it was years ago, is, okay, the one the one thing is no more, but the new thing is where he talks about how he's sitting there writing the script, and he just knows that the entirety of the staff of the production of South Park is waiting on him to finish this thing. And he knows that how late of a night he's going to force on everybody who works on the show is entirely down to his ability to sit in this room and and write the script and just the 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 pressure of that you know i i have things where it's like oh i know people are waiting on me and it's like i hate that i hate being the bottleneck it makes me really unhappy and I, and him talking about like this entire team of animators and everybody else is just waiting for him to finish it i thought i can't i cannot believe that the two of them have done this for as long as they have and that they're and that they're alive that this this has not killed them the production of this show because the the final scenes for this episode are delivered 
to the animators 24 hours oh, I know. before they air. And this is not, there's no dialogue. So they still got to record the dialogue, right? You deliver the scenes, they start the animation, go record the dialogue, get a match all the dialogue, and they put the whole thing together. 24 hours. Like, I love there's this one moment, um, at, like the 36-hour mark, where this is the first time this has happened. The producers are looking for Trey Parker. They're, like, walking around the the <laughs> studio mm-hmm. and, like, where's Trey? Like, they're trying to find him because mm-hmm. they know just how horrifically late they are at this point. Because, like, it seemed like this one, as being the first episode, was particularly bad, right? Like, mm-hmm. they, they pushed it on particularly late, late in the whole process. And, like, another thing that I thought that you... I wanted to see what you thought is when he's talking about the script and he's still got, like, five scenes to go or whatever. And he's like, I have to cut so much of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like He's like, I've not finished, but I know what I have here is a 40-page script, which is like a 40-minute episode, and we have to deliver a 25-minute episode. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I have to take it all out, and it's going to suck. And it is really interesting to watch as the week goes on to watch Trey's confidence start to fall. Mm-hmm. Like By the end, he's just like, this is the worst episode we've ever done. <laughs> Yeah. And like, and he's being yeah. legit, right? Like, he, it, it doesn't seem like he's joking. No, that, that's. I mean, but this is this is sort of legendary that the that two of them, but particularly Trey Parker, always feel this way. That's like, oh, this episode is terrible. But I, I think it's also just like you've been so intensely involved in the thing in such a short period of time that all you can see are the bazillions of its flaws. And uh, I think this, this is pretty famously. There's an episode um, of South Park that they did which is a crossover with World of Warcraft that was actually produced with the very people who animate that game. And uh, my understanding of it is that they thought that that episode was so terrible, they came as close as they've ever come to actually pulling it to saying, like, we're not going to air it at the last minute and, like, we'll just have to run, a, like, a rerun in the in the space. Uh, and, of course, like, that that went on to be one of the most famous and acclaimed episodes that they've ever done is that episode but it's it's like you can see he is crushed every time at the end of these episodes but the thing that kills me here is this is just the start of the season i i feel like i have i have watched two men live a year's worth of life in six days and it's not like oh it's over go take a break guys enjoy the weekend it's oh no the the next episode is starting up Right now. Yeah, they, and, well, they get one day, right? Which I assume is not a day off. Yeah, not, yeah right? not, not, in, any, not in any normal sense. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, other, the other part where I just had such sympathy is when they're still in the coming up with the ideas phase in the, in the first two days where they really just don't have anything. And Trey mentions how he's like, oh, I, I'm going to try to get away and just not think about this for a little bit. So he goes home and turns on his Xbox Mm. to just turn off his mind for a little bit but the ad on the xbox is south park coming this wednesday right <laughs> and at this point it's friday and he's yep. got nothing that was i love that because it's like that's so just so cruel right like he yeah. can't escape because everything because yeah. it's at the point it's at the size that it is that by this point it's everywhere right like and there's just it's no escape from it Oh, yeah, yeah, and as you mentioned, I think this documentary happened at the exact magical right time. Yeah, because there was probably no season of South Park promoted more than that one. The we're returning after a break, and also the episode where 
they've just produced this incredible musical that has received all this wide acclaim. So they're everywhere at this point because the Book of Mormon, yeah, exactly. you know, it swept, you know, it had like every Tony nomination, which also happened in that week. They got a ton of yes. Tony nominations, right? Like, because the Book of Mormon was was huge. It was just huge, mm-hmm. right? And so there's so much pressure on them. They've probably got more people that are wanting to see South Park than they right. have had in a while because they're not they're like hot and in the news again mm-hmm. i can't even i can't even imagine i just can't I, yeah i don't yeah but it is like the universe is so cruel like this poor guy is just trying to turn off his brain for a little bit and it's like south park coming this wednesday and it's like i just can't imagine what that feels like to be sitting there thinking like oh this wednesday i guess i need to come up with it you know i'm just god it's just awful this episode of cortex is brought to you by audible Audible has an unmatched selection of audio content, from thrilling novels to fascinating nonfiction to content from newspapers and magazines. If you want it, Audible has got it. Whether you're looking to add a little bit more excitement to your commute or you're finding a way to make laundry more bearable, and it is really unbearable without audiobooks, you need look no further than Audible. They make your commute more exciting and your chores more appealing. And with a great audiobook to help you fill the time, you'll be looking for excuses to wash some dishes. If you've enjoyed listening to the working conditions at the South Park Studios, then I'm going to recommend a book I read recently to you, which is called Masters of Doom, How Two Guys Created an Empire and Transformed Pop Culture by David Kushner. I played a lot of Doom when I was a kid, but I didn't really know anything about the development of it, and this book covers how John Carmack and John Romeo came together to create a thing that sucked thousands of hours out of my childhood. It's a very interesting look at uh, what could be described as a troubled working environment. You can't make more time, but you can make the most out of it. Turn your chores into something more with a free trial at Audible. Go to audible.com slash cortex to find out more and start your trial today. And maybe give Masters of Doom a listen. Thank you to Audible for supporting the show. The thing about this documentary that I find so fascinating is so many people talk about how they work better under deadlines. And, uh, you know, personally, that is a thing that I have not found is, is true for me. I work worse under deadlines, but obviously it does work for a lot of people. And this feels like the most extreme version of that I have ever seen that not only do Trey Parker and Matt Stone work well under deadlines because they produce these very popular, very funny shows but they've also created around them an entire team and production company that just has to be filled with people who work well under deadline. Yeah, there's a quote from the uh, the animation director, I think, mm, and he says, mm. uh, if it takes you four days to get something done, you can't contribute. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, if you are slow... They can't, you can't work there. And like they're saying that in usual animation houses, you have teams of people that do the specific parts, right? Storyboarding and then animating and that kind of stuff. But at the South Park team, everybody does everything mm-hmm. because they just don't have the affordances of time to have it go through a slow process. You know, you get a scene or whatever that you're working on and you will do it from scratch, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And there are things that they have obviously done over time, right? Like their process has been optimized in an animation style to allow for them to create something in that amount of time, right? Like the the, the well-known, like what started with literal pieces of paper cut out and moved around in stop motion. I have no doubt that that style of animation helps them to work a little bit faster. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there there was this funny thing where... uh... You know, now as an adult who has a tiny toe in the world of animation, but, but like f- from my perspective, watching this documentary, it's really interesting. Just a couple of little offhanded comments that the animators make. I was like, oh, of course, I can, I can see exactly what this is. Where, yeah, they they talk about how oh, this this style is intentionally done because you don't have to actually draw every frame. Mm-hmm. That in in animation, there's this process where you you can have a a static thing, you can draw something, and then you can just specify, oh, it has to move from here to here, and the computer fills in that motion in between. And as I'm listening to this, like that's what I do. Like that's exactly my <laughs> animation process. Like I don't draw every frame. Sure. You know, every every one of my videos is in a much simpler way, but it's the same thing where I'm taking objects. And specifying keyframes of this needs to move from here to there in an arc. And computer, you just draw the 60 frames in between that needs to make that happen. But it, but I was also just so aware of that, that, you know, their comparison to The Simpsons takes months to produce an episode. It's like, well, yes, but this The Simpsons, even if they're using computers to help, the The Simpsons is not composed fundamentally of geometric shapes that you're sliding around and because of the way the show is animated they're able to do this in a way that you couldn't possibly do with anything that even looks like hand animation and then the other thing that i I did find that comment really interesting where the, the lead animator says oh yeah we don't have separate storyboarding and character design teams everybody just does everything and Having had some peripheral experience with various teams of various sizes, you know, producing things for YouTube, there there really is an interesting trade-off in size and scope. That when you do have smaller teams of generalists, if you are also able to limit your scope in the way that South Park does with what they're trying to do in animation. Their animation is quite limited. It's like you can work very quickly with a bunch of generalists. And then on the other end of that spectrum, you have larger production houses. You know, what I, I would imagine like someplace like Pixar, where you might have three people who their whole specialist job is, uh, what does hair look like when it's wet? How, you know, how do you animate that? And it's like, well, then then you can produce something that is incredibly beautiful that you know a team like the South Park team could never ever produce but it's also going to take 20 million man hours to to bring into the world and again i just think like the south park guys are so interesting because they've clearly chosen to be optimized on a particular end of that spectrum like they've chosen to keep that animation style the way it is so that they can keep themselves under constant deadline so that they produce these shows that are relevant to the world around them as opposed to all other all other kinds of tv but 
you know, I have seen, and it's very easy for people to do where, where you want to expand the scope of what is possible. And, and then you have to keep adding like what, but how long does it take? Uh, and, and that's the thing that they, they've clearly designed everything to, to stay nice and short. And, and in fact, there's a little part where they, they talk as well about how they've shortened the process over time. And like kind of accidentally though, right? Yeah, yeah. It was interesting that the, they were talking about the, the production of the technology that they're like, oh, we used to use these incredibly expensive $30,000 machines. And now it's just an office full of iMacs that the, that the machines have gotten fast enough and the animation style has remained simple enough that that it's it's pulled down the amount of time even further and further that they need to produce one of those shows in terms of the animation. And yeah, it is it is crazy to think that the last 24 hours is when the vast majority of the animation actually occurs. Like it's it's just insanity. So, obviously me and you are very used to collaborating in our creative endeavors. We work with people to mm-hmm have an output and that's what's happening with trey parker and matt stone they're they're collaborating and there's a moment where they sit down uh with matt stone and do kind of a one-on-one because looking at the show you know he's obviously important but doesn't seem to have as many roles in the production right purely because of the fact that parker is writing it and directing the show he does both and parker is also the louder personality yes so on, on camera like parker takes up space on the screen mm-hmm. right just just with his physical presence he draws he draws everything towards him mm-hmm. um and then you know he's kind of matt stone's kind of talking about the fact that they the way that they work together and they understand each other and they know which one is in control in that moment and that, that has enabled them to continue to work it's understanding the way that each other works and just playing into that has allowed for their collaboration to last for 20 years now i thought that little moment where they talk to each of them about you know the the roles they play and and how the other fits into this this production i thought that was really interesting because i've I've always thought that there's this there's this very important meta skill which is knowing yourself like and recognizing what you're good at and what you're not good at that can be developed and even just in that little section i thought like man these are two guys who know really well where their strengths are and where their own weaknesses are and and how they work together with each other. And you know, it's like it, it's really interesting because Matt Stone in particular is is talking about a thing that's that's really hard to talk about on on camera where he, he's saying how oh when South Park was becoming popular he was getting offered all these directorial jobs. Yep. And he turns them down and he turns it's like he turns them down because he knows that that is not his skill set, even though to the outsiders, it seems like, oh, the two of them are making South Park together and they must be dividing these things up equally. And, and he, he recognizes like he might be able to make a few movies, but ultimately it's not it's not where he's strong and it just it wouldn't really go anywhere. And I thought like, man, that is just that is like such an underappreciated skill in a person to recognize that what many people would think of is like, oh, this is an amazing opportunity is actually a mistake that 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 wouldn't be the thing to do and that his time and energy are better spent working with Trey on South Park. You know, and it, and it's really interesting. And then they, then they go talk to Trey and like and there's these situations where like Trey is the louder personality, but he's not 
not confrontational in situations where maybe he would need to be confrontational. Like, and then that's where Matt Stone steps up. And, you know, I, I just like how they both talk about this, this metaphor of like being the members of the band. And it's like, yeah, there, there may be one person who looks like they're more the lead person in the band, but the band is still the members. Like no one person can be the band. The band is the two of them. Um, I just thought that I thought that was really interesting. And you could just see like these are guys who work together a lot and, and really know where their strengths lie. Whilst also remaining friends, like because one of my favorite examples of this is the Mythbusters. Are you familiar with the story there? No, I'm not, but I'm I'm not sure what you're talking about here. So they, especially um, Adam Savage, gives more interviews in this because he's more of a like a public person. He is someone who has remained kind of in the spotlight since Mythbusters mm-hmm. ended, um, and he said this. It's in fact they're not friends. Uh, they seem to not particularly like each other very much. Um, one of the quotes that Adam Savage mentions a lot is that they have never eaten a meal alone. Hmm. And they worked together for 10, 15 years, something like that. Mythbusters was on the air for a long time. Yeah, and but before that, Adam Savage worked for Jamie. Like, that's how it started. Like, he, hmm. he was an employee at his uh, prop shop. And they, they just they can work together incredibly well. They know what the other one is thinking. They can they have a kind of like a language between the two of them uh, apparently they argued and debated about every single point but always at the end one of them knew that the other was right and that was the mm. way that they worked together and it's so interesting to me because i can't imagine that environment like i i only work with people that i consider friends i couldn't imagine being in that way but what's going on is the same thing right? Like they just know how the other one works. So like whether they're friends or not, it doesn't matter because what you actually need to know is to understand yourself, understand the other person and their needs, and then you can work together over long periods of time. I think people assume that you should have to be friends with someone, but I think that they are a good example of why you actually don't need to be. You just have to have the fundamentals of what you'd consider a friendship but they don't actually have to result in being friends, which I, I just mm. find that comparing to these two is just very interesting. Is that they, It's all there. It's the same thing as mm. that. They know the strengths and the weaknesses and they play to that. They don't overstep and they work within their boundaries. It's the same thing. I didn't know that about Mythbusters. And, I, and I'm, I'm willing to bet that that, uh, I don't know, like, I don't want to say annoys, but I bet, I bet that's a thing that bothers a lot of people. I think it does, yeah. I when, think it does. when you're watching a show it's like you want to think that they're friends and that they're hanging out when i first found that out i was really bummed out about it because i love really? the show mm-hmm. i love the show and they seem to work so great together and i just assumed that they were the best of friends so when you mm. hear that you're like oh no like they're my buddies yeah i guess i guess part of this is also i th- i think that people might have a hard time a hard time understanding that kind of professional relationship where it's like, are they friends? They, but they don't have to be friends, but it doesn't mean that they hate each other, right? Like they're just, they're there. They work together. They know how to work with each other. Um, but that's, that's interesting. I, I could, it's interesting to hear that that's your reaction. Cause that's what I would, I would think most people would feel that way where they're like, Oh, I, I want to imagine that everybody's friends that, that like they and the whole crew sit down and have birthday cakes together at the end of each shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like, but things don't need to work that way especially like in Hollywood, right? People don't need to be friends. They just need to be able to work together. 
but it it is, it, or at least it comes across in this documentary that that Trey Parker and Matt Stone are clearly friends, and uh, also, <laughs> you know, I, I, thinking thinking of things structurally, uh, it certainly seems like South Park is able to be what South Park is because Trey Parker and Matt Stone are great friends. And it seems like they might not have a lot of friends in the wider Hollywood world. They they reference that that they <laughs> yeah. burned all their bridges. Yeah, it, it's it, it, you know when people say something like that in a documentary, I do always wonder like how much do you really mean it? But I can really believe yeah. it from these two yeah. uh, for everything that they have done over the course of their careers. But it's like there's an there's an interesting moment here because it, um, again like South South Park will really make fun of celebrities and and people in the public eye in in a way that very few other shows will go like as hard into it as South Park will but I I do think like that doesn't just happen it happens structurally because of the personality of these two and because they don't really have any connections with the wider Hollywood world that go so far as to reject it but the thing that like really highlights that in the documentary is that one of the writers in the writer's room works on saturday night live and explicitly says how oh on saturday night live the the politics of making fun of public people comes into the writing of their skits uh and it's like yeah i I can see that and I, i would think like that's also probably one of the reasons why at least to my tastes south park is way funnier than saturday night live uh, and it's because Saturday Night Live is structurally constrained by the kinds of jokes they can make. Because if they're making jokes about public figures, they can bet they're not going to get that public figure to host the show. Or if they're making jokes about the public figure, they have to be within a certain bounds. They can't go too far in one direction or another. Um, but it just it hadn't really occurred to me until seeing that. But it's like, oh, right, that makes total sense that that this is structurally why the show is able to do this and other comedies play it much more safe when it comes to referencing specific people in the real world uh but south park doesn't care because matt and trey have nothing to lose right (laughs) it's like they're not losing their friends they don't have any friends in that world um you know they, they they clearly thumb their nose at that world uh like they did at the was it the oscars was it is that the party that they show yeah. up in dresses like yeah. it's un- it's unbelievable uh, tripping on uh, acid <laughs> yeah it's funny i remember seeing that when it happened and i was much younger and just thought like oh those guys are just in dresses but watching the clip now as an adult particularly trey parker there's a moment where it's like dude you are so clearly high and on drugs like i cannot believe you're just showing up to the oscars like this um but yeah that's that's how you don't make any friends in the professional world <laughs> But yeah, so it was, it was very interesting to watch uh, seeing that whole process, seeing how long it takes to come up with the ideas. Uh, just as someone who's watched the show, it's also very interesting to watch the the writer process where you can see them start to play with the ideas and and they start to do the voices and you can see them like come together with the puzzle pieces of of, of what the show should be. Like, I have to say, it was very interesting to watch that develop over time. But towards the very end, the thing that I just could not believe is that this episode was, in the end, delivered five hours 
before the broadcast time. That that's that's when they got the final render out of the animation, and it's like they they hand a they hand a tape to a guy who brings it to the the machine that's going to broadcast it across Comedy Central. And it's like with a five hour five hours to spare, it's it's unbelievable that they do it. It's just some guy puts it in his car and drives it over. I know, I know. Like... So, and I bet it still works that way. You know, they're just putting it on a DVD and taking it there. I mean, uh, the thing that is worth mentioning as well, because I can imagine, like, if you've not seen this documentary, they're like, how is that possible, right? Because it's such a racy, edgy show. Like, how can Comedy Central allow it? Well, it seems like that they have developed a system and a process where the executive producer will have multiple calls with the standards bodies and with Comedy Central. Oh my god! Confirming all of the curse words they're allowed to use, how many they're allowed to use, which ones they can replace for something else, what they can bleep, what they can't bleep, and it ends up in just this wild, these wild phone calls that you overhear with, and the the executive producer's name is uh, Anne Garofino, and it's mm-hmm. so funny to just watch her reading these lines in like a totally deadpan way. She's using a boring corporate voice to discuss the details of exactly how graphic they can be with their human centipede and and then it's just like well you know happy easter bob right and click yes yeah she's yeah she's like what it's something like that right is it happy it's something like that yeah just wishes them like a great afternoon it's just so strange but you can imagine after 20 years there is no trust that's built up yeah Right, like it's... they're not gonna do something so crazy that they would get shut down. Like at that point, they're a well enough known entity, and I guess th- this is like another sign of collaboration that we don't get to see a lot of. But like how they work with Comedy Central, it's, it's kind of it's kind of strange. So I have a question for you, right? And I think I know the answer to this, but I want to ask it anyway. Mm-hmm. Could you work in this environment? Oh my god, no! Okay, you know, it's <sighs> again. There, there's a thing. There's a thing that. Uh... I sometimes think is underappreciated in the world, but that some people who are very successful, it is not obvious to outsiders just how much of their life they are burning on the thing that they are successful with. And I think this documentary is a, is a great view into that uh, of, of just what these guys are are putting into this is just inhuman. And then when you add on top of it, like other side projects that they do, uh, you know, <laughs> successful musicals, other movies, the video games, like, like all of this other stuff, it's, it's just crazy. Um, but it gets them such an amazing level of success. And, uh, I know we were discussing last time about the question a little bit about oh just because you put in the hours doesn't doesn't mean you're successful even if someone even if a genie could come along and could say to me like oh if you put in the hours you could be as successful as as these two is that something you would want to do I, I would say no because I just this is a place where I do know myself and I I don't work well under deadlines I couldn't possibly dedicate as as much inhuman time and energy as as they do into this so i feel like i I know myself and that i am much happier with a much diminished relatively level of success for (laughs) for not having to produce 
uh, episodes within six days and having to stay up until five in the morning and pulling these all-nighters and eating sad McDonald's and, and all the rest of it. It's just, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly, even if it meant it came with all the rewards that it does. Would you, Mike, would you, t- would you uh, take that deal? Contrary to almost everything else about my personality and my disposition as a human being, um, I have always worked and thrived in crisis situations. Mm-hmm. So especially when I was working at the bank, if something went terribly wrong, if there was something that was going wrong, I could and always did work very well in those environments. Like mm-hmm. everything's crumbling down. How do you fix it? Um, to the point that like if a team member was having a crisis, I would want to be involved in it to help because I kind of thrived on that pressure and the kind of impending disaster. It's very strange because there is nothing else about my personality which would indicate that I would enjoy this, but I did. Yeah, but I think this is a trait that some people just have. Yep. I, and and I think you have and it. it. And you know, it it doesn't it doesn't it really doesn't gel with anything else about the way that I work because you know I, I could be a nervous person, I can be a warrior. Like it's very strange that I have those two parts of me, but there they are. Um, so I don't think I could work there for very long, but I think I could do it for a not tiny period of time. I think for a few years I could I could work in that environment and would enjoy the last 24 hours and that's why I would keep coming why well, p- keep putting it myself through it would be for the last 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um but I think I would burn out after maybe two or three years of it. Like I don't think I could do it for long, but I think it's mm-hmm. something that I could enjoy. Not that I ever want to work in an environment like that. Right. Necessarily, I'm not going to seek it out. But if I was in it, I think I would enjoy it. But you don't think you could do it for 20 plus years? Most definitely not. It's wild. People doing anything for that period of time, the same thing, is astounding to me. You know, I used to work with people that have been in the same jobs, in the same places for 30 years. And I think it's an unbelievable thing because I couldn't do that. Like, I I wouldn't be able to stay just doing the same thing. And... Mm -hmm. I find it astounding that they have kept the same roles that they've had for 20 years, un- like basically mm. uninterrupted. That is a commitment that I don't think I could have to something like that. I agree with you there. I agree with you there. But I've got to say, Mike, I'm I'm glad you mentioned this a while back as, as a thing that we should watch. I feel like I'm, I'm really happy that I saw it. Mm-hmm. I hope for the people who did watch it that they found it interesting, uh, even if you're not necessarily a fan of South Park and... Uh, I would I would be curious if the listeners out there do know of any other documentaries in this kind of genre of following people at work or people who work on interesting things. I, w- I would love to hear some recommendations. Yep. Uh, because I just I can't think of anything else that's like this off the top of my head, and I'd, I'd be very curious to see some more. We could just do a rewatch of The Office. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you're asking for <laughs> uh no not quite no okay, no okay, I, okay. i'm looking for something that's real ah uh, wait hang on the, a second not, i have bad news for you mike the british <laughs> office is not real i like the american one more <laughs> they're very different things uh, yeah the american office is more my style of comedy than the british office <laughs> today's episode of cortex is brought to you in part by indochino With Indochino, you can say goodbye to generic, off-the-rack suits and instead enjoy the wonder of custom suits tailored to you at a fraction of the price that you would pay if you went to a tailor. 
Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear company. And hey, they haven't gone unnoticed. They've been featured in GQ, Forbes, and Fast Company because they make suits and shirts made to your exact measurements for a great fit. They have a wide selection of high-quality fabrics and the option to personalize all those little details. The lapel, the jacket lining, the monogram, and much more. It's so easy. You just pick your fabric, submit your measurements, place your order, and three weeks later or less, you'll have your new custom-made suit. Now, let me tell you about this. You think, but Mike, how? How can I order a suit with my custom measurements on the internet? It's very easy. You just go to Indochino.com. They'll send you, if you want, a little uh, tape measure out in the post. Then all you do is you follow their guide, which has some really helpful videos that shows you exactly how to measure each part of your body and then so you submit the measurements to them. They check it all to make sure that they all seem logical. When I put my measurements in, I think I measured myself incorrect in a couple of places. And the system was like, hey, you should check this area because I think you got that wrong. I redid it and they were right. I did get it wrong. A few weeks later, my suit arrived in the mail and it's fantastic. It is now my super formal suit that I wear. If I have to go and do something really nice and fancy, I wear my Indochino suit. It is fantastic, especially when you look at the prices. So... Indochino, they are offering suits to you right now for just $359 for any of their premium Indochino suits if you use the code CORTEX at checkout. So if you go to Indochino.com, which is I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com and use the code CORTEX at checkout, you can get any premium suit for $359. You can shop online at Indochino.com or visit any of their showrooms across North America if you want. So they can even size you up in one of their stores if you want. So you can get over 50% off the regular price of a premium made-to-measure suit, plus the shipping is free. That is Indochino.com with the promo code Cortex to get any of their premium suits for $359 plus free shipping. Head there now and get an incredible deal on a perfectly tailored suit. Our thanks to Indochino for their support of this show. Okay, Mike, I have another little little update <laughs> for the year of order. Order. No, no, Mike, it just... It's... <laughs> No, don't say it like that. <laughs> it's not what it means. It's not what it means. <laughs> yeah, so I said it in a totally normal way, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is the year of order, right? That's that's the we have a little update for that. Mm-hmm. So uh, my my home office at this moment is empty. Everything needs to be redone. There's packages that have been delivered to my glass cube. All all of that is underway. Uh, I want to get that stuff finished. Are you up to three desks in the cube now, or are we still at two? Uh, there's, there's two desks. Why do you, man, why do you ask this much? Uh-oh. <laughs> I, I love there's it the... when I just make a silly joke, but it ends up turning into, like, there's actually something really going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, well, uh, you're rallying me already. Now, there's there's two desks in the glass cube, and... I, I think that there are going to end up being two desks in the home office, but mm. I need to Hang I need on. to settle on that a little bit more before hmm. that happens. Hang on a second. Uh, so. no, 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 we don't. We don't no, need to. We no. don't need to. We spent so much time talking about like the specifics of the one purpose of the home office. If it has two desks, there's two purposes. No, we we can't get into this now, Mike. We can't. I refuse. I refuse to be derailed on this because I still I still have thoughts. Okay. And and you cut me off last time anyway with uh, with discussing the home office 
glass cube situation. I had so much more to talk about, but we had to bring that to oh, a I, close. I wondered if you noticed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I noticed. I was, let's just <laughs> skip that last category. <laughs> yeah, I'm no, I'm no fool. I know exactly what you were doing. Mm-hmm. There was, there was much more to be discussed. You have touched upon it now, but you know what? I'm refusing to talk about it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let it percolate. I tried a to direct you out of that. Right? That was, that was <laughs> yeah. me being the director. So let's, yeah, uh, no, let's it's, time to move so on. V- v- very subtle, very <laughs> subtle there, Mike. I didn't notice at all. So anyway, we're just gonna skip that. We're just gonna skip okay. that. Okay, okay. This is my um, punishment. Yeah, so I don't I don't have a long topic on the year of order, but I did I did just want to mention something uh, because I know it's something people are interested in, which is my re- eventual return to full on use of task managers this year. Like this is a thing that's going to happen at some point. Um, but I did just want to to mention that um, I have been using things a lot this year so this is things three uh is the name as always with task managers and timers you have to have these names that are very difficult to talk about and mm-hmm. things is one of those it isn't as bad as do though do is do is the worst to do is close oh i saw another one uh i saw another one that was some, it was called like do but it was like d-o-o and i was like oh you're doomed you're doomed yeah. from the start task manager yeah there's one uh, of my favorites though is ted You've seen that, right? I don't think I don't think I've seen that one. No. T e u x d e u x. Oh yes, I have seen that. Yeah. Ted. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, it's, it's. The problem is there's so many task managers, right? If you're trying to come up with a name, you're you're limited for things, but uh, it's they they all end up being relatively ambiguous. But mm-hmm. I did just want to mention things because I've been using it just a just a little bit sort of very informally to keep a record of some of the projects that I have active. But I wouldn't say that I'm like, I'm all in on using it as a task manager. I've just been using it as kind of like a placeholder, like where do I write down the things that I'm currently working on? But I have to say, I, I just, I am really impressed by it as a as a task manager. Uh, I think the the Things 3 redesign, like for a long time, I didn't touch Things 2 because it seemed like it was not actively under development. Uh, it, it hadn't been updated in a really long time, but Things Three is just a really, really great update. And I know on the show previously, I have said that my sort of default task manager recommendation, if I don't know anything about a person, is is to just use Clear and say like, oh, just just run with Clear. Uh, but since I know they have a new one in development, but it isn't available yet. Uh, but right now, I think I would have to switch that to Things as. If you want to get started with the task manager and you don't know where to begin, I, I really have to recommend Things 3 as, as the place to start. It's just, it's very simple. It's very beautiful. And it has a couple of really clever features in it that are things that I originally thought like, oh, I don't know about this, but I have I have come to love and, and wish that other task managers hmm. do. Like this, this is the one thing that is just so simple, but when you're laying out a, a project, things gives you this option to uh, create little subheadings. And those subheadings aren't tasks. They're not anything. They're just a way that you can group something into different areas and say like, oh, all of these tasks go under this heading and all of these tasks go under this heading. And it's it's so nice and freeing to have a, a visual 
distinction between things that doesn't also have a meaning, right? Like these things are not sub projects or anything like that. It's just, oh, here's, here's some visual separation between these different tasks. What does this visual separation mean? Nothing. It means nothing at all. And they have a very simple uh, way to specify tasks that you should be doing today, which a lot of task managers have, but they have an additional nice feature, which is you can specify, oh, this task is for this evening, and it just moves it down to the bottom of the list. Just a lot of really, really nice touches. And I have to say, I'm I'm very impressed with it. And I, I like it a lot as a simple task manager that isn't completely stripped back. Um, I don't know. Have you played with it at all, Mike? Or are you totally unfamiliar with things? No, enough of my friends have been gushing over it that I decided to to give it a try. <laughs> I know Titi likes it a lot. Titi and I were talking it. about things. Yes, and that's why I decided to give it a go just because of how much he's been enjoying it. And I know that Steven tried it and he liked it, but it ultimately didn't work for him. And I've played around of it very little, um, but I know it's not the right app for me uh just for a couple of reasons the main one being the way in which you select dates and alerts is so cumbersome uh it's it feels very clunky to me after having used todoist Mm -hmm. for so long because todoist it's all natural language and once you get used to typing in take out the trash at 4 p.m pound sign personal and then what that does is takes the task, puts a reminder in and an alert for four o'clock and it puts it in my personal project group. That's wonderful. And all of that in things, you're hitting a bunch of buttons and hit a bunch of drop downs and they're repeating task. UI is not good. Um, yeah, I love the design and some of mm-hmm. the thoughts behind it. I mean, it is a beautiful iPhone app in which... Todoist is kind of like just a decent looking cross platform application, right? Like, yeah, that's how it even, looks. Even decent there, I might, I, I feel like that's, that's, no, it doesn't, no, but it's there. fine, right? Like, it's not offensive because it's so plain. I'm not saying it's offensive, but it's, it's, it's not great. It's not great. But ultimately, what I'm looking for in my task manager is the functionality that I want as opposed to mm-hmm. the design. And whilst things design is wonderful, they're missing a bunch of things. I mean, and also, like, whilst I don't use a ton, ton of it, like, having the web API stuff is important to me now because I like to have things going on their own. And just as an option for the future, I don't really want to shut that sort of stuff off. But yeah, I've tried things. Uh, I don't know if it would be my recommendation for people, um, but I but I can see why it would be somebody's, if that makes sense. Like, it's not what I would give. I, I would still recommend Todoist, especially because Todoist you can try for free. I don't even think things has a subscription plan and it is a in the world of applications a relatively expensive application and you have to buy it on all platforms individually but it is beautiful and uh if you are if you really care about design in your applications like you really really care then this is probably the one you should try i I agree that i would have a hard time if i had to use that as as my main and only task manager forever that the limitations I would find really frustrating. But I, I, there's two things here. I, I find, I always find it an interesting thought experiment about if you had to make a recommendation and you didn't know anything about the person, like what would you recommend? If, uh, if you knew someone was going to buy a Mac 
but you didn't know anything about them, like what would you recommend as the default Mac? Like it's just an interesting thought experiment. And I feel like things is, is my task manager recommendation. If I didn't know anything about the person, what would I do? I would do that. But also I just want to recommend it because I have really enjoyed it because I think that there are times when the limitations are helpful. It's the very fact that things is lacking some of the more complicated features that has, while I'm still feeling out the edges of what does the year of order mean, it's forcing me to be more limited in what I'm actually keeping track of right now. And it's the same reason why if someone has no experience with task managers whatsoever, I always recommend someone just starts with paper, like just get a notebook and paper and write things down because you don't even know where you want to begin and like force yourself with the simplicity of that. Before we move on from this topic, do you have any thoughts about OmniFocus 3, like the the upcoming announcements and stuff of OmniFocus 3? <laughs> yeah, well, well, this is this is one of the questions, right? If I can't stick with things for forever where am i going to go and, and and we see on the horizon there omnifocus and the thing i love about omnifocus their their strongest suit as always is hiding from you the things that you can do nothing about right now that to me is such a killer feature it's why i always i always come back to omnifocus and uh i'm always happy when they publish their roadmap at the beginning of the year because of course i'm intensely interested in what they're doing and especially having been away from task managers for so long uh, i feel like i'm coming back to it with different eyes one of the things i'm really really glad to see that omnifocus is doing is they are finally getting rid of the concept of contexts and replacing them with tags i feel like that is that is a huge improvement so that you can have a task and you can put an arbitrary number of tags associated with it rather than having to pick a single context, which uh, they discuss in their blog post that this is, uh, this is a thing that as time has gone on, that people who are unfamiliar with getting things done have a hard time understanding like this concept of what is a context supposed to be. And I've always argued that I think in as time has gone on, one of the ways that getting things done has not held up is this idea that your work is so clearly defined by the physical world and like that just and that was what contexts grow out of is this idea of these physical constraints it's like we just kind of don't live in that world anymore i think this doesn't make sense for most people the way it used to so i gotta say i am really really glad that they're bringing in tags and they're ditching contexts i'm super happy about that um, there's a bunch of other great features. I like it. It looks like they're improving notifications. Uh, they're changing around the design, uh, which I think can be Im- improved. They're working on automation. Of course, I always love automation. There is one question though that I have from reading this blog post where I was reading a section real close and it's like, I can't quite figure out what you mean by this Omni group. And it is their section on how dates are managed with OmniFocus. Because I love OmniFocus, but the one thing that really kills me sometimes is the way that at least currently they handle dates, where there's this strange thing where if you have a task and you assign a a due date to it, it remembers what time zone you're in when you assign that due date, but there's no way to modify or change that time zone. And uh, 
I think had I been using OmniFocus over the previous year with the amount of travel that I have, have been doing, that would have driven me crazy because I was just constantly in different time zones or, or working with different things. And like to have tasks that have this invisible time zone associated with them would be madness. And my whole system revolves around the idea of gray master time that almost every single one of my tasks is due or needs to be done relative to me and my time, not relative to like, what is the time in California right now? Or what is the time in New York? And this is one of the reasons that I love and use Todoist because it will yeah. do this. When you arrive in a new place, it asks you, do you want to change to this your tasks to this time zone? And if you say yes, if you had a task that was going off at 12 o'clock in London, it will go off at 12 o'clock in New York, right? Like it just for, it just changes all of your task times for you. Todoist is great because it asks the vast majority of uh, task manager systems don't even ask. They just assume that the time is relative to wherever you are. So like if you set a, if you set a reminder in Apple, say like, oh, remind me about a thing at 2 p.m. And you get on a flight and change time zones in the meantime, it'll remind you at 2 p.m. wherever you landed. And it's the same thing with things. Same thing with almost every single task manager I've ever used. It's just OmniFocus has this one, this like weird feature. And they, they do discuss in their article talking about how the dates are going to change that currently there are five different times that are tracked with each task, but the user only has access to two of them. And I'm wondering like, what the heck are those other two? I don't understand. Um, but so anyway, I am deeply, deeply hoping that this is addressed at OmniFocus, that you can set a task to be a floating task, that it, it does not have a time zone. Uh, again, not not least because I'm still looking at this year where there's going to be a lot of travel ahead. And... <sighs> If if this hasn't been addressed, I'm going to need to figure out what is it that I'm going to do with my task management system. Uh, but if it has been addressed, then I feel like almost almost certainly a couple months from now, I'll be telling you about like, oh, this this system that I've set up in OmniFocus. But in general, though, OmniFocus, like it looks really great, the roadmap and the things that they're doing. Uh, I hope to God that they've fixed the time zone thing. They're doing a really interesting idea with collaborations. Uh, like I'm just, I'm very curious to see where it goes. And I think it's, I think it's just a great piece of software. Although I think also a custom icon wouldn't go astray. Ah, custom icons, huh? How are those working for you? Well, well, you know, Mike, the thing, the thing is, a custom icon. You need custom icons. All apps should offer custom icon colors because when you're trying to arrange a home screen, colors are very important. You can't have too many of the same colors near each other. Or if they're colors that you don't like, you don't want them on your home screen. So custom icons, very important for home screen arrangement. Today's episode of Cortex is also brought to you by Backblaze, the unlimited cloud backup for Macs and PCs that starts at just $5 a month. You can sign up for a 15-day free trial with no credit card required at backblaze.com cortex. You've heard us talk about Backblaze before. And when you hear us doing this, when you hear these ads, you're probably thinking to yourself, hmm, you know what? I really should get around to backing up my stuff pretty soon. But let me tell you the problem with soon. Soon basically is never. 
Sign up right now and finally get it checked off your list. You don't even have to be at the computer that you want backed up. Just go there from your phone right now to backblaze.com slash cortex and sign up for a plan. They'll send you an email once you've checked out and everything. And then later on, you'll be reminded to set it up when you're sitting at home on your Mac. Don't let this wait because Backblaze will back up your documents, your music, your photos, your videos, your drawings, your projects, your memories, everything that you want and need. And once it's all backed up, you'll have instant access to your data anywhere in the world, even from your smartphone. If you need to restore one file, Backblaze can do that. If you need to restore everything because something terrible has happened, they can do that too. Heck, they'll even ship you a hard drive with all of your data on it. And once you've restored all your precious documents, send it back to them and get a full refund. It's a win-win. Backblaze have restored over 28 billion, with a B, billion files. That is an average of 1 million files per hour. It's gimmick-free. There's no additional charges. It's just $5 per month for full backups. I personally waited too long to do this, and I lost a laptop to a pint of soda. Don't let that happen to you because there was stuff on that laptop that I know is gone. And you know what the real problem is? I don't know what I lost. That's way worse than knowing what you lost. The feeling of things have gone and I don't know what they are. Don't be a fool like me. I have Backblaze set up on all of my Macs now. And it makes me so happy to know that even though I have my local backups, I have absolutely everything in the cloud, ready for me in case I ever need it. Cortex listeners get a 15-day free trial just by going to backblaze.com slash cortex. So go there right now and get your backup system in order. Once again, that is backblaze.com slash cortex. Go there so they know that you came to them from this show because that helps support us. Our thanks to Backblaze for preventing countless disasters and for supporting this show and Relay FM. You can't just mention it. Mention what? You can't just throw home screen arrangement around as a phrase you know you have to give it up let's see what you got we have not exchanged our home screens since we moved to the iphone 10 it feels like we do home screens every week mike nope, we do this all the time like surely we've discussed year. this already it's like once a year we do this <laughs> and i want to see if the iphone 10 has changed things for you uh, i will mention that the uh, the wall the wallpaper the cortex wallpaper that uh, the wonderful designer Forgotten Tale put together for us uh, was painstakingly updated for the iPhone 10. Like, I was helping him out with it and uh, we were trying to get it to just work just right. It has been painstakingly updated so it aligns properly. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, I know a lot of people like that wallpaper and it's still available and there is now a true black version Ooh, nice on the oled screens it is black it's not blue or gray anymore so that's the thing that is available there are a couple of options and that's still uh, available for for free and i'll put a link in our show notes if you want to grab that but it has been updated so if you have an iphone 10 then uh, you may want to you may want to check it out so okay let's exchange home screens here okay mike i've sent you i've shown you my home screen it's time for you to show me yours Oh, you've done a whole big thing again. Oh my gosh. Oh my I haven't gosh. done a whole Greatest I haven't so done ugly. a whole big thing again. I have not done a whole big thing again. And what you have just sent me, you have no right to talk about ugly. Yeah, I do. <laughs> no, this is terrible. No, you don't. This is terrible. Yours is what terrible. You've done here. Yours is really this is No. No, no. I'm like no, I feel no. like we we're starting all over again. This is like the first time we exchanged home screens. <laughs>
my home screen looks like how people's home screens look. Uh, it's yeah. as a wallpaper and there's a bunch of apps. Yours is like, oh, here's a grid of 12 <laughs> smack bang in the middle of the phone. Uh, yeah, your home screen looks like people's home screens look like, which is what garbage looks like. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not mm-hmm. a comparison. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, my screen looks like most people's Mm-mm. because I, I always peer over everybody's shoulders to see what their home screens look like. And, and most people's home screens make me want to vomit. Mm-mm. And... um. This is uh, this is very busy, Mike. This is a real, real busy screen. It's just a full screen. It's, it's what should very be on there. fill it up. It's very colorful. Uh, so yeah, this is a special uh, members only Relay FM wallpaper that I have. So if you want to mm-hmm. get that wallpaper, you have to be a Relay FM member. We have a whole pack of wallpapers, and this is one from the Remaster podcast that I do. And I love it very much. It's nice and bright. I spent a lot of time trying to get it aligned. It's not perfect, but it's as close as I can make it happen. Yeah, I, 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 here's the thing. I like the remaster artwork. Retro video game thing, globe. Mm-hmm, it's sort mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Tron-y and also epcot centery. It's uh, The remaster artwork, one of the best artworks on the whole of the Relay Network. Um, I don't like that you've just zoomed in on the central part so that it's it's just this is how the gross, wallpaper is. This purple. isn't the artwork. This is just the wallpaper. You 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 no. You've chosen this. No, no and it's, it's. I'm not a fan. Not okay. a fan at all. I think it's it's really ugly. I never I expected you to be a fan, but I think that you are working with some grotesquery right now with this situation you've got going on. Why is everything in the middle? Okay, I don't wait, understand. Hold on, just... Can can I wait, before before we get there? Can I can we just we need to focus on you for a minute? Oh, okay. Uh, okay, it's ugly. We can just get past that. We can sure, move past sure. that. Sure, um, I mean, I mean, look, it's, Mike. It's like you're trying to pick all of the colors in the world because you've also gone with the custom peacock icon, which has the rainbows around it. Yeah, it's, it's, you've chosen icons to to make more colors all over the place. A white color. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's clown vomit the only one you've actually gone the other way with is the bear icon you've chosen the the black black and white bear no, icon. Well, see, I don't, very, you don't choose the icons fancy. i choose the theme and yeah, then the icon i, I wish they would separate those two things because yeah, i seriously, want like bear, the bright bear developers one. if you're listening that the fact that you have to choose your theme and your icon at the same time and they have to match is crazy i want i it's, want a big bright really blue bear icon and the true black theme in the inside the application Right, that's what yeah. I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have definitely uh, moved back towards all color again. I'm I'm in an all yeah. color season for whatever reason. Uh, it's the reason mm-hmm. for the colored season. That's where I am right now. Uh, I can't explain okay, why. We're but... getting very Wonka here. Okay, it's we're in the, it's the season for colors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, why is it so full? Like, why why have you just why have you felt the need to um, use up every single space I'm a busy guy i got i got a lot of things to think about i need access to stuff immediately it has to all be there i mean there are a couple of applications that i don't necessarily need on the home screen but then it's going to throw it out of whack balance wise right okay. i have like maybe one or two that i would move away but then yeah then there's I'm always gonna, a bit of balancing you know it's understandable. so there are a couple of in there in here that i probably don't need to be there but i look at my home screen every now and then and i evaluate and there is nothing i would take mm. off that screen right now Okay, and I mean, we have covered many of these apps many times, but mm-hmm. I also feel that this is, uh, there's a few on here that I have no idea what these things are. 
What is PipeDrive? Oh, PipeDrive is a sales management CRM tool. Oh, that's right. Okay, yes. That's my yes, that's my that's big that's my right. big grown up adult application. Right. My, We've discussed that. My corporate sales app. Right with the mandatory lowercase letter logo. Okay, great. Yep. Um, what is Anchor? Okay, so Anchor is an audio social network. They okay. are a sponsor on Relay FM, and I've been playing around with their application. So okay, all right. Does that I, make I don't, sense? Don't That's for work. It too much, but yeah, they're, they're, it's a cool app. I like it. Okay, and Canary. I don't know Canary. Canary is my home security system. Oh right. Okay. Right. So that's the, right. that's the home security okay. camera, little Buster. We call him. Right. That makes sense. Yep. He busts the criminals. We call him Buster. That's his little name. Right. Busting, busting criminals all mm-hmm. day. He's crime, crime um, busting. It's usually just me walking around though. Honestly, at like one yeah. thirty in the morning. <laughs> He's busting you. Got me again. <laughs> I see. You're also a cool guy who's on not one, not two, but three test flights with these apps. What can so. I say? See that? See the Instagram one up there? Look at me now. I'm super fancy. No, I know. That's that's the thing. It's like, ooh, you're on the Instagram test flight. Isn't somebody fancy? I know. What can I say? <laughs> these the, the people just need my my good opinions. You know. Yeah. What am I supposed to do? Go. They certainly don't need your good design opinions, though. That's that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. They don't need that at all. This just expanse of disgusting, just darkness with these. I, I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly, icons. I couldn't possibly look at this purple monstrosity all day. Folders with one application in them and a bunch of dots. It's, I've been doing that for years. This and is, it never like, looks I look at any home, better, Gray. It doesn't get better all the time. I look at my home time. screen and it's, it's barely changed. You have changed. such a misbalance of color as well. Like the th- the three molt, like green applications and they're all kind of spread out weirdly. And then there's green in the maps icon. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. The green the green is a thing that, that needs to be worked on. But that is partly Bear's fault. Like I can't choose the color Bear icon that I want, which has like knock-on effects. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree. This this screen is not what I want the final version of it to be, but I think it is clearly way better than your disgusting home screen. I disagree. What what are you using Filmic Pro for? Okay, well hold on. Let me let me let me paint a let me paint a word picture for the people, Mike. No, so that people the listeners just can no, understand. No, because you're gonna paint it nicely. People need to just go <laughs> yeah. to our show notes and open this horrific image that I've been put in front of my eyes with just this weirdo square of applications sitting in the middle of this screen. It's such a waste. Such a waste. Yeah. So rather than junk up my home screen and take every available slot like I'm some kind of app hoarder. Mm-hmm. I have I have chosen instead to do a little bit of a, a four by four grid of apps on my phone. I don't need all of those slots occupied. Mm. Space is a luxury, Mike. And so I, ha- I have luxurious space on my phone. How are you doing this, by the way? Well, what, what you're about, what you're asking here is I have the grid centered on the phone because uh, with the iPhone 10 uh, and with the OLED screen, black backgrounds just look fantastic. Like the black levels are great. It makes everything else pop. And that's always a thing I've really liked about the backgrounds that I choose is trying to pick backgrounds that highlight the applications that don't detract and I don't know if I'm going to stick with it indefinitely, but I have been enjoying the pure black background as a novelty with the iPhone X. And because it's pure black, it now allows me to use that trick where you can put fake icons above 
the actual apps. So all I did was I made a, a fake icon in workflow where it's just purely black color. And then I added that to the home screen. So there's there's four like dummy apps with invisible names that are taking up the top row just to move the grid down so that it's centered on the screen. If you can have the invisible names, why do you have the dots there for the folders? I have the dots there for the folders because I think it looks visually on un- like if if I could if I could I wish I could add an accessibility feature on iPhone called your app names are dumb and I don't want to see them. Especially because they turned off the names of the apps in the dock. Now. I know. It's, it's, it drives me crazy. Like Again, every time I see the, the app names, I just I feel like those app names are there for idiots. And, and it's like, yeah, anyone who uses their phone any amount of time knows what the icons are. Nobody's reading it and going like, hmm, where did my calendar go? No, oh, the, music, let me read through. Is it is photos, music? No, audio book, ever No, know that's it? camera. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. And I hate it. I hate it so much. I've hated it since the dawn of the iPhone, mm-hmm. having the stupid words there. Especially when some of them don't fit and they like do the little dot, dot, dot. That is a problem of being yeah. on so many cool guy betas is that sometimes the little... Yeah, you run out of space. The dot, yeah. the dot squishes the name up. You know, that can be a real, real problem. It is, it, but it really is. Mm-hmm. It really is a real problem. <laughs> so while in theory, you would think, oh, you hate these words, so you wouldn't want to have anything below the folders, the four folders on the top. I find that I tried it by putting invisible names in those folders, but then it just looks visually unbalanced because all of the icons have something below them, these stupid words. Um, So I feel like I need something below the folders. Otherwise, it just looks like there's too much space between the top row and the next row. So I put the dots there because I find them the least visually intrusive. And that, that's why they're there. It's just as, as visual balance, but they don't have any real function. You ever tried emoji? I tried it once, but there's a problem that I don't... I'm not a fan of the design of the Apple emojis. I think they look dumb. And I found them just more distracting uh, to have on the home screen. There are places where I use emojis. I actually do use emojis a lot in my time tracking system with Toggle so that I can um, like visually identify stuff faster than reading. But uh, it works there, but I don't like them on the home screen. I just don't like the look of them. Uh, they're too... They're too 3D for my liking, and so that's that's why I don't have them there. Even even though I think that it, it would kind of make more sense to have an emoji that represents what each of these folders are, but rather instead I'm trying to pick the one icon that you see in the folder to be representative of what that folder is. That, that's kind of how I'm labeling these folders. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I have the, the top four folders, which are there simply to act as categories to sort all of the apps that I don't want on my home screen into. And so those categories are, the first one has the settings app in there, and that is the miscellaneous category. Um, Everything that doesn't fit anywhere else just goes in there. The next one over has carrot weather, and that contains all of the apps that are, I don't know a good way to describe this, but in in my head I think of them as location-based so they have something to do with where I currently am. So these are like flight tracking apps or ride sharing apps, or I put the wallet app in there, or if a conference I'm going to has an app, like I put that app in there, 
or food delivery services or um train ticket apps like all of that kind of stuff is sort of location based do you ever do like a time sensitive promotion of an application to the front page of the folder one of the reasons i like to have space is so that i can have that bottom row available to put stuff down and normally when i'm traveling there'll be two apps that will go in that that bottom row and it will usually be on the main screen on the main screen yeah It'll usually usually be the flight tracker, and I'm I'm still using Flight Logger as my main one for that. I get under your recommendation. I did give App in the Air a try. It's interesting, um, but I'm still sticking with Flight Logger as my main one. It's pretty heavy handed, but I do like it. It is also definitely better than it used to be. Uh, like if I had to use it, I wouldn't be upset. But I'll put Flight Logger on that bottom row, and then the other thing I'll put in the bottom row, which <laughs> is sort of silly, but I'll put the Wallet app down there because like if (laughs) i don't know i find when i'm traveling i'm always real panicky about how long will it take me to access whatever ticket i have in my apple wallet for whatever it is Mm -hmm. that i need and so i have the wallet available everywhere like i have it in the in the control center and then i'll put it on the home screen and then some tickets but not all tickets frustratingly will show up as notifications on the lot so like i want every way to be able to open up that wallet immediately because i'm always just like real panicky when the guy comes over is like tickets please like i don't know where hold on a second i'm the idiot with my phone right (laughs) yeah yeah i feel that like so there's a there's a train uh, line in London called the Docklands Light Railway, the DLR. Mm-hmm. Yep. And unlike any other of the uh, tube lines or the, the kind of TFO rail lines, there's no barriers for this train. Um, yeah. you, you, and there's no drivers for the train. There's no drivers, but there's a conductor who come up and down and check the tickets because instead of doing the barriers where like you have to have the barrier to press it to get through you kind of work on a on a system of i'm gonna touch my oyster card or my iphone to the to the scanner and Mm -hmm. i'm gonna get on the train so because they have that kind of honor system they have a conductor periodically who may come and check and i feel like such a tool when i double tap my watch and hold my wrist up for this person to scan my wrist to make yeah. sure that I touched in on the, the, the pad correctly. I feel like such an idiot in those moments. <laughs> I, I have to agree. While a lot of the ticket stuff will show up on the watch, I, I feel socially reluctant to use the watch as as a ticket. Yeah, I never do it. It's just because it's Apple Pay, and I, I use it on Apple Pay all the time. But for like mm-hmm. tickets for planes and stuff, I would honestly typically still use the paper one if they give it to me. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, I will always use my phone. I like a paper ticket just in case. You're in such a high-pressure situation, right, when you're in the airports. It's like, if they're going to give me a paper ticket, I'll take it because I have a backup. I don't print out the paper tickets, but I'll say this. I have never regretted it when someone gives me a, a ticket. Like, if a thing comes up and I need to go to the gate agent. Yeah, never print it, but if they if they offer to give me it or they give me it at the at the check-in desk, that's what I'll use for the yeah, rest of the I time. Will, I will always take it. And there, there is one real disadvantage, which I, I think is a real structural disadvantage in an airport, especially when lots of people are using e-tickets, which I'm just aware of. A huge proportion of people are using the tickets on their phone. Like, that has really skyrocketed in airports. And the big disadvantage is everyone is real gentle with your phone. And a lot of the scanners are built so that you just, you have to give the person your phone to scan in the ticket. Yeah. And there's, there's this weird, like people are holding it 
just on the tops of like nobody wants to really grab anybody else's phone and i really do think that that slows things down uh so and, and but it's also why that's in in many situations like using the watch it's like oh come on you know, I, I need to take your whole arm. You have to like awkwardly to, like, twist your arm around and scan yeah, it's, it's never it's never going to work. But again, I'm always like I'm very nervous on the lines about having my iPhone ticket ready uh, because I I'm just I don't want to be the person who's holding it up. And every once in a while, I've been like I've been so anxious about having the ticket ready that I'm fiddling around with it so much that I'll like lock the phone yep. right before them, and I'm like, oh no, right, and now now here I am, like now I'm and that then, guy. Then you become the British person, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fumbling around, yeah. making little noises. Yeah, it's terrible. But so that that's why I'll put the wallet in that bottom space because it's like any any button. No matter where I can be to get to the wallet, to get to the ticket is, is what I want as fast as possible. Um, so that, that's the one uh, folder. The next folder over, which has the toggle timer in it, that's representative of a bunch of apps that I just use for work stuff in one form or another. Uh, so that I toggle app still kind of sucks, right? Yeah, it's not great. And uh, it, it's probably not very long lived on my phone either because I can't. I can't trace it exactly, but somewhere in my system, something isn't ending timers correctly. And so I end up with these weird, uh, super long uh, recorded times. <laughs> that problem in my system is me. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm that problem. <laughs> I woke up this morning to a 19-hour invoicing timer. <laughs> Yeah, see, like I'm always I'm always firing off timers, so I don't have that problem. But every once in a while, there's some timer where it like it weirdly thinks that even though I have launched 20 timers in the day, there was one timer from the morning hmm. that has also been going on all day long. And I'm I think it's the iOS app that's doing it. But but either way, I just I have it there as a label that this is the folder for work stuff. Uh, I don't use it a lot, and I'm probably going to take it off my phone relatively soon. Uh, and then the next one over has the Apple Watch in it, and then that just has a bunch of health-related apps in there. Um, so I have those four folders on the top for these sorting purposes, so it does make it easier when I need to manually find an app. I have an idea of where it probably is. And also, frankly, it is, like like you were saying, while with filling up the slots on your phone, that you do run into these balance problems of, I actually don't have a ton of apps that I really would want on the home screen. Uh, there's lots of stuff that I'm happy to search for. And so the four on the top is, is again, a kind of visual balance thing. I could get away with one folder, but one folder looks really ugly. And four is fine. And I'm, I'm looking for more spaces on the home screen anyway. So I don't, mm-hmm. I don't mind putting those four across there. Um, but yes, I will acknowledge that the color arrangement and exact location of some of these apps is not the best. But this is partly coming off of the graycation and not having settled entirely on what the new phone will will be that's partly why the the screenshot that i gave you is taken filmic pro is on there uh which is the camera that i can use for some vlogging stuff because i was in a place where i was doing some vlogging recording but that's (laughs) that's not an app that needs to live on the home screen under normal circumstances so that's gonna go how how many vlogs are you gonna record before you release one I mean, just, just I vlog every day. I just never put them out. <laughs> the question is, Mike, what is a vlog? <laughs> right? I, I can say that I have made several short vlogs that I've realized, oh, this is boring as all hell. And mm-hmm. I just got rid of it. 
So like okay. that that has happened a number of times. If a vlog falls in the woods and there's no one around. If a vlog if a vlog is uploaded to YouTube and nobody likes it, did it exist? <laughs> uh, who knows? But so anyway, Filmic Pro is going to go off, and then of course that has huge knock-on effects of everything else. But um, and also the the arrangement of to do tasks on the bottom row like that is ultimately going to change. But you just happen to be seeing it uh, where it is right now. Are there any other questions about this particular setup? Evernote, man. Evernote. It's just never going to go away, is it, Evernote? It's just there <laughs> you know, okay. forever. I love Here's it. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. This is actually... Uh, it's been a long time since Evernote has been on the home screen of my phone. And part of this was... Part of this was just accepting as part of the year of order, like, Evernote's just going to be with you, man. Right? It's just going to be here. There's no way you're ever walking away from that. Embrace it. And I've put Evernote on the home screen specifically so that, uh, and it's worked so far, I engage in a particular behavior, which is I often have a thought for some video. And in the past, I would open up a note and I would write it down. And then at some later point, I would cycle that note into the appropriate place in Evernote. And I've decided like, just, just skip that step. Why not just accept that Evernote's here put it on the home screen and put the note right where it belongs immediately and save yourself the effort later of, of sorting and categorizing it. So that actually has worked pretty well. Uh, and I'm, I'm liking the way that is. How is the Evernote app now? It's fine. It's fine. Cause I, I haven't used it in a, in a very long time at this point. Um, just because Apple notes is, it gives me everything I need. Like yeah. I don't, I don't need any more from it. Like on, on the phone, what I would say, it's fine for putting stuff in. It's fine for looking stuff up. But if you're going to do any organization, you better be sitting at a computer or you're going to hate your life. Uh, so if I need to do any serious Evernote reorganizing, that, that'll happen on a computer. That won't happen on the phone. Apple Maps? Use Apple Maps? I have a very particular use for Apple Maps. Mm-hmm. This is going to sound, I'm pretty sure I've told you this before. I'm not sure I've said it on the podcast, but, um, well, because you know what's coming here. I, ha- I have, um, I've increasingly had a lot of problems with motion sickness and it's very strange, but, uh, when I'm in a car, it's, it's very often like I can get motion sickness if I'm not looking out the windows or I'm not like, yeah, I just, this is, this is a sensitivity that has increased over time. And do you just get it in cars? Do you get it in planes? Luckily, I have not gotten it in planes. Oof, that would be bad. I hope that that never happens to you. Yeah, I'm a little worried just because I used to never get it in cars either. Mm. And now I do. And so I feel like, uh oh, there's some dial of sensitivity that is getting turned up over time. Uh, but if I get motion sickness on planes, like, well, I guess I'm just going to restructure an amazing portion of my life. Like, that's what's going to happen because I'm not going to put up with that. Anyway, I have Apple Maps there because... I mean, genuinely, Apple Maps is, is, it has reached the point where it's fine for day-to-day use. But the thing that is surprisingly helpful is if I'm in a car and I'm not driving, I put the destination into Apple Maps and it does the haptic feedback on my wrist. And it is really helpful to actually have a little indicator of which way you're going to turn before you turn. And so... I, I find that is actually helpful with the car sickness. So, Interesting. So it's, 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 pre- it's pre-preparing your brain for the turns. 
Yeah, like I, I will always leave the navigation on, on on my phone, but it's useful because if I don't want to look at the phone, I can just get the haptic feedback on the watch. And yeah, it's like my brain is is ready for the turns. And people always ask like, oh, but what happens if the person doesn't make the turn where Apple Maps thinks it should make the turn? It doesn't seem to matter. It, it just seems to know that like anticipation of a turn maybe upcoming is actually the only information that I really want. Uh, and it it helps, but... I do have to say, if you are doing any kind of actual serious drive, like if I'm in America and I am driving to a place that I don't know, uh, I will almost always use Google Maps instead for the actual driving directions. Mm, like Google okay. Maps is a, is a serious, like you're doing a road trip in America, you're crazy not to use Google Maps. Uh, not least because they have some features like saving offline maps for when you get out of cell phone access. Like they have a lot of really great features, but I'm not really using Apple Maps for my own navigation 99% of the time. Right. I'm using it as like navigational awareness. But it's there is, on the home screen because it, when it's needed, it's needed urgently, right? Like it's like there's no fussing. It's good. Yeah, there's, there's no fussing. And and also I like I do use the maps often enough, and like I said, it's fine. It's fine for purpose uh, when I'm looking for things. So I just I just leave it on the home screen there. In London, Google Maps is so much better than Apple Maps. Like the point of interest data is better. They have like, what time is this place busy? Data. It's it really is just excellent. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I mean that is a thing. If I want to know when a place is busy, I always open up to Google Maps. And be like, I want to go to a place when nobody's there. Tell me Google Maps. Oh, it's that, that that is one of the best features. <laughs> I love that feature. And you're still using the start and stop timers there in the bottom. What is it? What is that one in the middle? Is that open like a log of your toggle activities or something? Oh, okay. So this this is a little bit different. This was part of my effort to increase the amount of time captured. I was trying to think about like what timer do I hit the most, and I've. I've set up a timer, I mean, this is months ago, but I set up a timer which is called loading, which I think of as like the loading screen in a video game, you know, when you're transitioning from one area to another. And I was realizing that there's a lot of my time in life which I can categorize as like loading screen behavior that I finished activity one. I've sort of like, oh, I'm going to go get a coffee now. And I'm like, in that transition period of deciding what am I going to do next? And so I've mentally trained myself that if I don't know what timer I'm going to hit for the next task, I just automatically hit the loading timer. And what that does is it stops whatever timer was previously running and begins this just generic, you are in a transitional state timer, uh, which... Uh, I, I really like because it helps me cut down on that transitional state. It helps cut down on not deciding what's going to happen next because, again, I'm aware that there is this timer in existence. But So that is by far my most frequently hit single timer is that one. So I thought might as well put it right right in the center on the home screen uh, in, a, in a prominent location. So that's what I hit most of the time. Now, Mike, I know you don't, I know you don't like the home screen, but... Here's, here's a question that I, I want to know what you think of. Here is my lock screen. Oh, look at that. Yeah, surprising. Surprising that would even come up. What is that, Mike? Is that one of these dynamic wallpapers? <laughs> yes, it is. It is one of the dynamic wallpapers that Apple introduced years ago and has never updated, ever. But it's just the, the blue little color blobs. 
And what do you do? You, do you three D touch on it and they move or something, or do they just move around on their own? They move automatically. So whenever oh. I pick up the phone, the little blobs come into existence and they move around with the way the phone moves. And I always hated those animated wallpapers. I didn't think they looked great. But I'll tell you again with the black levels of the of the iPhone X, it looks gorgeous. And I always just kind of like having a little bit of a little bit of whimsy, a little bit of difference when you switch devices and so this is again a thing like i don't know if i'm going to keep this but i like it and it's it's fun for having the new device but yeah i i like it i like it a lot and i was just curious if this was going to get mike approval or disapproval i think that there are there are better options um for for what you're doing but i like that there's something going on so like with the with the iPhone 10, they added a bunch of these uh, 3D touchable dynamic wallpapers, like shifting sands, shifting colored sands and stuff like that. They're, they're pretty interesting. Um, I, d- I don't use them, but they're, they're fun. Yeah, but the problem is they require an action on your part. That's true. Like you have to like, oh, I'm going to now 3D press my lock screen to see a thing move. How, how many times are you going to do that? I, I like that this just happens automatically, that they just show up and they move around and... They've made them very reactive to subtle motions in the phone. Oh yeah. So I like I've, it. I've just I'm trying it out now and you move it around and it all goes wild. I don't think I would like that. I originally thought I was going to try it for this and the home screen and there is a nice there is a nice touch that when you unlock the phone and you swipe up, it'll keep the bubbles in the same spot when you go to the home screen, but uh turns out that I hate that i can't uh, believe you even thought about it yeah, like, yeah. Uh, well i tried it i tried it for maybe a day and then i was like what am i doing this it's is like, terrible you uh, say mine's clown vomit they're like clown trousers yeah it's it would it would be no good there was also a multicolored one which i was trying for a while and then i eventually settled on the blue as my personal favorite so uh i like that i, I think i think it's it's interesting to do and it looks great on the new phone for the lock screen but I have, I have uh, one more thing to show you, but I just need to grab something from the other room. So I'll be back in just a second. Okay. I was realizing that we've discussed home screens now for a while, having done this show. And I don't think I've mentioned one thing that I particularly like to do. So I'm going to show you, I can't show it on my phone because I don't have it set up right now, but I'm going to show you how I set up my iPad when I was on my winter vacation. (laughs) What are you laughing at, Mike? (laughs) Before you say anything, I want you to realize that when I was on my vacation, I did this on my iPad and on my phone. For the lock screen and the home screen. <laughs> it's it's a snowy ch- landscape of a forest, but in this uh-huh. peculiar cartoon aesthetic. It's just a flat design aesthetic yeah. of a little forest and some snow. Uh-huh. I'm a big believer in changing your home screen and your lock screen for when you're on a holiday. I think... It helps make the time psychologically different. So when I go on my vacations or my corporate retreats, I often try to find a, a nice a nice little wallpaper, which is not a wallpaper I would use normally, but something that feels like it fits thematically in wherever wherever I am. So 
I had this beautiful, beautiful wallpaper on my iPad and on my home screen for my winter vacation time. And it was lovely. And I think it's a thing that everybody should do. And they say you're a robot. <laughs>